Hello and welcome to episode four of the Language Hacking Podcast. In today's episode, I interview my multilingual co-host, Shannon Kennedy. I've been lucky enough to work with Shannon for a number of years, and she's one of the most talented and thoughtful language learners that I know, as well as being an incredible human being. I've lost count of how many languages Shannon speaks, as she's always learning new ones. In this episode, Shannon shares what makes that constant learning possible for her, amidst being a busy mom and having several jobs. I also find out how she got into language learning, because like me, it was only as an adult that she really got into languages. If you've ever thought to yourself, I'm too busy to learn languages, or I'm too shy to learn a language, or even it's too late for me to learn a language, or if you're someone who's curious about how language learning really works, then I'm sure you're going to love this episode. As always, the resources from this episode can be found in the show notes at languagehacking.com. So, let's dive into my interview with Shannon Kennedy. Welcome to the Language Hacking Podcast from Fluent in Three Months. So Shannon and I met in person for the very, very first time in Montreal at Langfest. Um, and it was, it was interesting because we had actually been working together uh, for a bit of time uh, before that. But Shannon is actually a core member of the uh, Fluent in Three Months team. Uh, she runs the Fluent in Three Months Challenge and she does a lot of other stuff. What, what other things do you do for Fluent in Three Months, Shannon? For Fluent in Three Months, I'm a content creator, so I write blog posts, I do different things, I help with course developments, I, as you said, run the Fluent in Three Months Challenge, and of course, I'm the co-host of the Language Hacking Podcast. Exactly. But there's a lot more to Shannon uh, than meets the eye, and that's what I want to talk about today. And uh, Shannon is one of the most interesting people I, I know, not just a polyglot, but also a polymath, a polymath, is that how you say it? I, I think so. I don't yeah. know. I've never been referred to that way. <laughs> yeah, well, because of you have many, many skills uh, that kind of tie in uh, two languages, and we're going to talk about that a little bit today. So Shannon has her own uh, blog that she also runs that's called Eurolinguist, or Eurolinguist. Uh, how do you pronounce it? Eurolinguist, but oh, Eurolinguist okay. works. <laughs> yep. Uh, so why w- did you decide to go with this name, um, is it because all of your languages are European or what, what's your thinking behind it? When I started the blog, the answer to that question was yes. I was fresh out of university and at that point my focus had been on Italian, German, French. And so all of the languages that I was studying were European. And at that point I was adding Croatian, which is again a European language. So Uh, I thought that that was a good name. I was trying to come up with something because I felt like a lot of my friends had a cool kind of name that they went by that they either used for email or that they used for their own blogs. And so I was like, oh, I'm a linguist and I speak European languages. So you're a linguist. And um, I went with that name. But then, of course, I later ended up adding in many languages that do not fall in under the branch of European languages, but we can get into that a little bit more later. Yeah, absolutely. And um, what kind of things do you write about on on your blog? 
I write about a lot of different things because, as you said, I have a lot of different interests. The primary focus of the blog is language learning, but I also talk about other things that can relate to language learning because I really feel that one of the things that's really important to kind of immerse yourself in a language and really get into it is finding something about the culture or the history, just something about that language that really connects you to it. And for me, the two, those two things are travel and food. So I often write about food. Um, I write about food that uh, I've tried in the places that I've traveled to. I share recipes for dishes from the places where the languages I speak are spoken. I share travel posts, so tips for travel. And I also share how I use the languages that I'm learning in these places that I'm going to. Okay. And um, when it comes to the uh, many interests that you have, I think the main one uh, that comes to mind apart from language learning is music. So how do you kind of um, match these two things in, in your mind, like going between music and languages and what led to this transition? Because I presume you would have had a bigger musical background first. Yeah, I started doing music when I was really, really young. I did music and theater for a long time. And when I was around 11, I had the opportunity to choose to go into the band program and leave the music and theater program. And I took that out. I wanted to get out and get away from it. So um, I started playing the flute. That has a whole story. But I was, it was around that time that I really started to get into music. And I added saxophone and other instruments later. I recorded my first professional CD when I was 17 years old. Um, and I went to university to study music, both my bachelor's degree and my master's degree are in music. But when I was doing my master's degree, there was a requirement for the program that said that you had to have fluent reading ability in Spanish, French, Italian, and German, because we work with primary sources, we go and do field work and things like that. So there's a lot of research that's done in these other languages. I thought that that was really cool. So I really dove into it. I took classes and did my CEFR certifications for those languages. And that was when I really realized that I loved the language learning thing and I loved everything about languages. And when that transition started to happen for me, um, when I got out of school, I continued to be a professional musician, but I got a full-time job in a completely unrelated industry, but I was always kind of doing the blog on the side and then still doing, being a full-time professional musician, my work was really flexible and I was allowed to go and do concerts as I came up and take the time off of work to go on tour and things like that. Um, and then eventually I just transitioned out of that and now I do language and music full time. But I found that with music, a lot of the things that I had learned as far as discipline and practice and habit and uh, the way to break things down to learn them also applied to language learning. And so a lot of those skills that I learned about learning as a musician were incredibly applicable to language learning. And I think that's part of what helped me get to where I am today. Um, but since then, because I've kind of seen those parallels, I find that there's actually a, a wide variety of other things that you do in life that you can take what you did to learn that skill and apply it to like say language learning or something else. So it's also just made me more aware of how all of these different things that we do can influence our language learning. And uh, to give us some examples, like what specifically would you, uh, what skills in learning music have you been able to transfer over to learning languages? Sure. Uh, so there's two that really stand out in my mind. And the first 
is uh, I used to teach music lessons and I'd always tell my kids that when you go to practice, you don't play, you practice. And I'm sure you as a musician understand what this is. You can sit down at the piano and you just kind of play something and you're spending time with the instrument. And yeah, you might be getting a little bit better just because of that contact, but you're not really working on anything. So the practice is different. It's where you actually take something that you can't do and then you work on it until you can do it. And I feel like language studies can be very similar. So you can spend time with the language. It's like, oh, you do a little bit of reading. You watch something on Netflix. You kind of just go through the motions in a course book or on a vocabulary app. But you're just going through the motions. You're not actually sitting and saying, okay, here's this grammar point that I really struggle with. And today, during my learning session, I'm going to sit down and I'm going to work through it. And I may not totally grasp it at the end of that learning session, but I'll have made good headway. And so that discipline that I had in music to say, okay, this passage on this piece that I'm going to play on my recital that I can't do today, I'm going to spend an hour just working this out. And that doing that in music so often made it easier for me to do that in language learning as well, to actually sit down and work on those things. So that's one example. Um, another one would be the, uh, I talk about this a lot uh, with all of our Fluent in Three Months challengers, and it's language journaling. So this actually was a habit that I learned from music. My undergrad uh, saxophone professor, he made me keep a practice journal. So every time I sat down to practice my saxophone, I would write, I did 10 minutes of long tones. I did 30 minutes of scales. I did this and like, I actually had to write down what I did. I had to write down what parts of the pieces that, of music that I practiced, how I practiced, what questions I had when I came up, anything that I noticed in my playing that needed improvement. It's like, oh, my articulation on this passage is terrible. I need to actually sit down and work it out and, work, and improve it. Or if I try to play scale staccato, I end up rushing or I end up dragging. And so like making notes of things to work on the next time. So then I'd have this, it was usually about a page of basically data on my practice and then next steps for me to take. And so whenever I felt stuck and didn't know what to practice, which surprisingly happens a lot, <laughs> I could always go back and flip through my notes and say, oh, I haven't done this yet. I haven't done this yet. And then basically create a checklist of things that I could practice and work on. And so the same is true for language learning. And that's actually why we built the Fluent Three Months Challenge journal. That's based on the journals that I had for music and now language. So I would sit down, I'd start the language, I'd take my notes. It's like, here's my new vocab words. Here's the new grammar kind of exercises that I did. And it's like, hmm, I have a question. Why is it that this particular thing does this? But instead of getting distracted going online and falling down the YouTube hole, I'd write that question down and it would become something that I would target later. And so that's probably a second thing that I took from music. Very interesting. And I, um, I when you were saying before that you you had to have some kind of a, at least a reading ability in the languages. I know from my own uh, piano practice that a lot of Italian words, uh, you, you just have to know them to be able to read piano. Um, but that's as far as I would know. Like what other uh, use of especially the non-Italian languages uh, and uh, when it's not related to the piano, how do foreign languages help you become a better musician as it were? So a lot of the famous composers are from different parts of Europe. So like um, there's a lot of famous Czech composers, Russian composers, French 
French composers, Italian, German, you name it. So what happens is when you're studying a piece of music and you're really getting in depth into it, you don't just look at the music itself. Instead, you kind of look at the history of the music. What was the intent of the composer with this music? What was the mood the composer was trying to set? What sort of political statements or social statements was he trying or she trying to make with this music? And so you can really get into, I was classically trained, so this is from a classical perspective, of course. Um, you can really get into all of these different things. And in order to interpret a piece of music, correctly, you have to have this background knowledge. So a lot of the time whenever you pick a new piece to play for a concert or performance, you end up going through this research period. And what ends up happening is, for example, you'll take the original score and in the original score, there will be an introduction written by the composer often in their native language. There will be a foreword or a note written by someone else in that language. There'll be notes in the music in that language. You'll go and find other recordings or performance reviews of a particular piece and they'll be in some other language. And so if you're really doing the research with primary sources, historical sources, knowing these languages is really important. For me, I was, my field of research was um, popular music in France. And by popular, I don't mean pop music, I mean like folk music. So I was working with books written in French. I was doing interviews with people in that field in French. I was learning a little bit of Breton because that was the area that I studied as well, um, just because it came up in everything that I was seeing and reading. And, um, you know, the words of the songs, they're in French. And so it's there's there's just so many ways that music kind of comes into play or language comes into play in music. Excellent. Okay, so switching topics slightly, um, when when I imagine somebody who, and especially with music, you've you've actually done concerts, and like you said, you've released CDs, and um, you even released something recently, haven't you? What's that? Yeah, it's not released yet, but mm -hmm. um, my new album, I finally got the masters back, which is like the final version of the songs yesterday, mm -hmm. and so I gave my Fluent in Three Months team members a little preview of the album cover and all the songs. Yeah, so when, when I imagine somebody who does these kinds of things and puts themselves out there for making music and, um, you know, is an active language learner and you're also well-traveled as well, in my mind, and before I met you, I imagined you to be essentially like as outgoing as I am and to, to be the life of the party and to be up saying everybody look at me all the time but um you you identify a lot more as an introvert and as somebody shy and when i met you for the first time i saw this was true that you you were coming out of your shell initially uh before we got to know each other a bit better so um when it comes to uh like working through uh like any challenges you would face as a shy introvert how have you gotten comfortable being able to speak the languages given that? I can't say that I am still comfortable yet. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, but it's something that I've learned to do that I've trained myself to kind of push through because I know the benefits of it. Uh, the first time I ever did the speak from day one approach was after I had discovered your blog and it was when I was learning Mandarin Chinese and I decided that I was going to learn that language differently. So I actually went through speak in a week and I forced myself to create the videos and they still exist online somewhere. So you can watch like my terrible first couple days speaking Mandarin Chinese. 
But um, I realized that what I was doing with the languages before, and it worked for me before, because again, my primary focus was being able to read these languages. So I could sit down and I could be by myself in my little corner studying with my course books and then doing some reading and then looking up things in the dictionary. And like that worked. It was fine. That was what I needed to do. But when I started to learn languages to communicate with people, it didn't work so much anymore. So I had to start to do something different. And the one thing that I know is that if you're uncomfortable, you're growing. So by being uncomfortable speaking, I know that I'm getting better. And then I also just know from music again, that I can read all of the theory about playing the saxophone. I can look up diagrams of how exactly my embouchure, which is my mouth placement should be around the mouthpiece, where my tongue should be, how my lips should be around the mouthpiece and things like that. But unless I'm actually doing it and training my muscles to not only form those shapes, but hold those shapes and then hold them over a three hour concert, say, um, if, unless I'm practicing that, I'm not going to be able to do that. And I can tell you because I've, you know, due to other things, have had to take long breaks from playing saxophone. When I pick it back up, it's like 10 minutes. I'm like, oh, my face hurts. My muscles are so sore. So it's the same thing for languages. And you don't really think about it. You think, oh, it's just like this thing that I need to know in my head. But when you're speaking a language, your tongue is moving, your lips are moving, your throat is moving, your voice is being activated. And your brain is like connecting to all of this. And so unless you're training all of those body parts to do those things and create those sounds, you're not going to be able to do them. And so as a musician, knowing that that's how it works in one area, that it's obviously how it's going to work in some other related area. So I knew that I needed to speak more. And okay. so, yeah, that's. And if uh, for anyone who's listening to this, who would also identify as somebody who's, Who's, a, who's shy or an introvert. And I know it's uh, two very different things, but somebody who would struggle with actually trying to speak the language to other people, even if it's just to have a, a call, a video call with someone, or if they have a family member they may, may want to practice with, whatever it may be, even if they are confident enough with all the other aspects of the language, what advice would you give them that's certainly helped you to be more active in being uh, an active speaker in the language. Prepare, for sure. If you're introverted or you're shy, you're worried about making mistakes, things like that, the best thing that you can do is prepare because the more prepared you are, the more confident you're going to feel and the more confidence you feel, the easier it is going to be to kind of fight past any shyness or any... Introversion is not really the same. Introversion is just where you kind of recharge by yourself. Mm. So again, in that case if you're more introverted and not necessarily shy, you know, spending some time alone to charge up, going and doing the interaction, spending some time alone after to recharge. So that would be for that case. But as far as like, if you're nervous or you're uncomfortable or you're worried, preparing is the best thing you can do. Um, you will never feel like you're prepared enough. You just have to do the best that you can prepare for the situation and then go into it. And you may think, okay, I have no idea what this person's going to say. So how on earth can I prepare for this? There's a lot of things that you can do. Benny talks about scripting a lot. And that's something that I definitely love doing. You can't predict everything that someone's going to say, but what you can do is you can prepare what you're going to say and how you'll direct the conversation. If they do say something that you don't understand, because you actually have a lot more power than you think that you do in these situations. So I would maybe prepare something like learn to introduce myself. And then they may ask me something like, oh, what style of music do you play if I say that I'm a musician and I might not be able to answer that in the language. And so I'll say, oh, sorry, I don't understand. And then 
I can come up with different things to kind of help with that. Or if it goes into a topic and it's like, oh, we were just talking about politics, come talk with me. And I'm like, oh, like, I don't know how to talk about politics in this language. So I can say like, oh, that's really interesting. Thank you. But I actually have to go or I'll give myself an out. There's, there's just a million things that you can do to, again, prepare for when it goes into a territory that you don't understand. So I would definitely say preparation is my number one tip. Yeah, I really like that, that concept that as well as trying to prepare for what you can do, you can prepare for what you know you're not going to be able to do. And that doesn't mean you can't have the conversations. Just having an easy out means that you can at least be confident you'll do what you can do better. And then you don't have to worry that you're going to be talking for hours and hours or put under pressure or whatever. So, yeah, and one way that a lot of people have um, in the community helped their ability to uh, get into speaking has been the Fluent in Three Months Challenge. And you have been the center of this challenge for a very, very long time. You've been running it and you've also been a participant in the challenge. So uh, how did you get involved in it originally? I originally got involved in it uh, when it was the Add One Challenge and when um, it was being passed over to Fluent in three months and it was something I saw it and I was like, okay, I can do this. And, you know, I love do, managing all parts of it, even the admin stuff, the community stuff. And then I decided that, you know, it was something that was a little bit out of my comfort zone. So I figured that it'd be something that would be good for me. Like having to create videos every 30 days is a big deal for me. Um, so I decided to go ahead and just do it and try it out. And I also figured that as the community manager, as the head coach of the Fluent Three Months Challenge, the best thing to do would be to do it so that I really understand what all of the students and all of the participants are going through as they're going through those 90 days. So I did it. It worked. I had my 15 minute conversation. I was like, Oh, this is great. And so I just kind of became an addict and now I do every single one that I can. Um, I can't do all of them because some of them overlap, but the minute one of the ones that I'm in is done, I'll start a new one. And I do it with languages that I already speak that I want to improve and focus on, and I do it with new languages. I've learned several new languages with the Fluent in Three Months Challenge, um, including Hebrew, Japanese. Um, I completely rebooted my Korean. I wouldn't know if I could say that's new or not. Um, also Hungarian. So I've just really enjoyed it. And uh, like you say, you've, uh, you've rebooted some, but would you say most of them have been languages you've started effectively from scratch or have you have you had more than uh, beyond the Korean uh, challenges where you were maybe at a higher level and pushing yourself up a bit? Yeah, I've done both. So um, I've been doing them for more than two years now. <laughs> I think I'm going, I think this summer will be my third full year of doing challenges. So um, one of them I did Croatian, which is actually already a pretty strong language for me. Um, I had taken like a two year break from it. So I did it to refresh it. I did it with, um, after I did my first Japanese one, learning Japanese from scratch, I did another one immediately after in the advanced version of the challenge, which is kind of the next level version of the Fluent Three Months Challenge. And then I also did a second for Hungarian after my first one with that. And um, so I've kind of done a mix of improving languages and starting new languages. Okay. And in terms of other people who may be going through their own either self-guided or even through the Flint Three Months Challenge themselves, um, what things specific to the challenge have you done to help uh, improve your language skills? 
The things that I've done specific to the challenge is as a part of the challenge, one of the things that I kind of figured out is a system that works for me in starting a new language to go from zero to having that 15 minute conversation. And it's a combination of different things of not getting distracted, of staying focused on speaking and not worrying about other things. Um, Like, for example, I did Hindi, which I forgot to mention, um, and I just completely ignored the writing system the whole time I studied that language. And I did two challenges for Hindi. I told my tutor, I just said, write in romanization. We'll work on it this way. I only need to speak this language for the thing I need to do with it. So um, I don't want to deal with learning the um, Devanagari right now. So um, I focus on speaking and listening. I use the journal, I complete the daily check-in and make sure that I'm doing the work every single day. And um, I just kind of have this system for taking lessons or having exchanges, um, processing any new vocabulary that comes up in those lessons so that I'm really making use of that time. And then, um, you know, just doing a lot of scripting so that I can build what are called language islands, which I'm sure you know about this concept where you basically pick a topic, you build your island on it, and then you can either expand that island or build new islands. And then you just like, you try to make the connections between them as small as possible so you can move from one to the other, which is kind of what I was talking about earlier where I said if a conversation goes in a direction where you don't know how to deal with it, you use these islands to steer the language ship in a new direction. So someone could be like, oh, you know, I love superhero movies. Did you see the latest superhero movie? And I'll be like, um, no, but I do like fantasy and science fiction. And I read this really amazing book. And so I could basically take something related and take it in a direction where I am comfortable. So um, I do all of these things as a part of the challenge. You can really see it clearly in my Japanese challenge where I went from zero in Japanese to my next six months in advance, specializing and talking about video games and mm-hmm. particularly Nintendo and the Legend of Zelda in my mm-hmm. second 90 day video. And um, you've had so many challenges at this stage that I'm sure lots of, um, you've had lots of highs and lows Um, what do you think comes to mind as maybe one of the um, bigger issues you would have faced in one of your challenges and how did you eventually get through it? About a year ago now, I had some really tough personal stuff going on. And uh, so it was really hard to do any kind of extra stuff, um, which is strange because I needed distraction at the time. But I think I also needed to kind of decompress and process everything. So I took a break from language learning during that period. And I had a really hard time getting back into it because one of the things that I was trying to do was pick up my language routine exactly how I had left it off, which is a terrible idea because I was doing a lot So I was trying to just like, it's like go from nothing to all the things, which is not a great way to reestablish a habit. So what I ended up doing instead was in the Fluent in Three Months Challenge, we always talk about taking it one yay at a time. And I decided to kind of break that down even further and say, just do something with the language today. So I started really easy. It was like, okay, five minutes and drops. I'm spending time with the language and getting back into it. And eventually it's like, okay, once I have that established as a habit and I'm doing that every single day, what's the next one step up that I can do to rebuild this? It's like, okay, well, I really want to get back into having lessons again. So I'll book a lesson. 
And then I'm normally, I like to book out the whole month, but it's like, okay, I'm just going to do one, see how it goes and see when I have energy to do the next one. And just kind of creeping back into it to gain that solid foothold rather than trying to like jump all the way back in at the deep end with weights tied to my feet. So, um, I think that that was probably the biggest lesson that I've had as far as like moments where it was a little bit more of a struggle for me. Mm-hmm. And I think it's, it's very well said that sometimes when we're going through difficulties, we should always ease ourselves in. And even when you're starting something like if, so, if language learning were new, or if you were getting into a completely different aspect of uh, something uh, difficult, then easing yourself in getting those smaller yays is important. But uh, one thing I've always been uh, very impressed by uh, with your story is um, during, like, obviously there are times when we have personal struggles where we're just going to be less efficient. But um, when that's not uh, happening in our lives, um, like, I find that you, you have a lot of plates that you actually tend to juggle. And I remember once that uh, I had been seeing that you were maybe producing some albums or you had been making a lot of music you were helping me a lot with Fluent in Three Months. And then you apologized that you might be delayed uh, getting something back to me because you just gave birth to a human. And I was like, what? So I, I have personally been very, very impressed with how you manage to uh, get as many things done as you can. So how do you manage that? Because you have a lot of very, very different things that you're doing in your life. You are a mother. You have this musical passion. You're helping me to run fluent in three months. You're learning your languages. There's a lot of things you're doing. How do you manage to tie them all together? Like, what is your time management or energy management strategy? I love that you mentioned energy management because I actually think that this is more important than time management. And a lot of the time when we say we're bad at time management or that we don't have time to do things, we actually mean that we don't have the energy to do them. So that distinction to me is so, so important. So I'm so glad that you brought that up. Um, As far as how I get everything done, I like to think of myself as very organized and systematic. I have my moments. And if anyone looked at like the way I organize my files, they'd be like, what on earth is going on here? I, I just, I like to stay organized. And another thing that I do is I do a lot of batching. So for example, like if I'm cooking, I'm catching up on podcasts. If I'm in the car, I'm listening to Pimsler or something along those lines to make use of that time. Like I'm not just like vegging out, listening to political radio or something. Um, I honestly, I don't even read the news. And if I do read the news, I'm listening to like news in slow French um, and I'm not reading it and listening, but you get my points. Um, I try to do as much of that. So like, for example, when I'm reading, I try to read in English as little as possible. There are a lot more books available in English that are along the lines of things that I want to read. So that's a little bit difficult. But like I said earlier, I love fantasy. And almost all of the fantasy series that I really enjoy have been translated into other languages. So I'm able to read them in Spanish or in French say, instead of reading them in English. So trying to do as much of that as possible. I also try to include my kids in my language studies. So um, every once in a while, I will like play with them in the language and be like, what's this? Oh, shoji. Hi, this is my, like, whatever. And so doing things like that, um, doing classes with them in the language or uh, just different things. So trying to do more than one thing at once, not necessarily multitasking, but just merging two tasks so that they're one thing. Um, 
And then again, I just have processes and systems for everything. Like for me, if you want me to get something done, give me a due date. And as long as I have a due date, it'll always be done by that due date. If I don't have a due date, it might not get done. And that's like part of it. So prioritizing, I guess. So things that have that are coming up on my calendar, they get done. And then another thing is just like writing everything down. I find that if I try to hold too much in my head, I get overwhelmed and I burn out. Whereas if something comes up, it's like, oh, I need to do this. Instead of like keep going, oh, I need to do this 10 times in a week, I will say, okay, I just thought, okay, I need to do this. So I write it down. And then I say, okay, how important is this? And how soon do I need to do this by? And most things do kind of have a natural deadline. Like if it's like, oh, you need to go and buy stuff for your kid's classroom party. It's like, well, the classroom party, they expect the materials for that by a certain date. So you just write down the date. But um, getting as much out of my head as I can somewhere else. I know that a lot of people complain. It's like, oh, technology is making us dumb. But like, uh, because it like we're relying on it so much, but I actually find that it's, it actually allows us to do more and be more intelligent because we're not trying to hold so many basic things in our heads. We actually have room for more complex things, for more deep work and stuff like that. So um, just getting all of the excess out of my head and um, having using technology to kind of help me stay on top of everything. Yeah, I like that um, that we use technology as, as a tool and that. Uh, especially nowadays, the news can be a big source of stress for people and uh, definitely something we would waste a lot of time on. So um, finding that in another language is at least using that time. Like you say, it's not multitasking, but merging two, ta- two things into one, which I really like that way of looking at it. Um, and are you uh, currently working on a language uh, in, in particular? I am. I am currently working on Hebrew. Um, I started it in January and I was supposed to go to Tel Aviv in March, but, uh, something happened to prevent that. (laughs) (laughs) So, um, I am still in the middle of a fluent in three months challenge with Hebrew. Um, my 90 day conversation is actually coming up very soon. So I will be doing that. And I think I'm going to continue with it after that for another challenge. I'll do advanced so that I can keep it up so that when I finally do get to go, I'll actually be at a higher level than I anticipated because I've gotten some more unexpected time with it. So seeing Mm. the positive in that. (laughs) Yeah. And uh, I know some people listening would actually have kids themselves. So what would you recommend um, to help raise kids to speak other languages? Uh, You've already suggested that you can, um, like point out what an item is and they can learn vocabulary that way. But what other things have you been doing? So with kids, I find that the most important thing to them is time with them. And so basically anything that you can do where you're engaging with them and playing with them and learning with them is something that they're going to enjoy doing. And for to get them to want to do something, it needs to be something that they enjoy. Otherwise, they're just going to fight you on it. So Um, for example, we go to a class where we go and we do activities together in Chinese. Um, we listen to Chinese music in the car, sing along, have dance parties. We, um, play, do different forms of play. So like we'll be playing with his cars or with his trains and I will be saying all of the things in Chinese with him. Um, I had actually started learning Chinese before he was born and, um, I kind of always had it as a goal to speak Chinese with my kids when I have them. And so when I found out I was pregnant, which is actually the day before my HSK exam, which is the uh, certification exam for Chinese, I was like, okay, I've got nine months to really get this down in time to prepare. 
So um, you got a deadline. You love that. I have a deadline. See, (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I started working really hard at it and doing everything that I could to prepare, like of dealing with a small child's like learning to say things like, oh, let's change your diaper. Oh, are you hungry? Do you want your bottle like formula or breast milk or things like that? So learning how to say all of these things um, so that I could stay in Chinese with him. Um, As he got a little bit older, it got a little bit more difficult because when you're around other people, um, you know, I, if I wanted them to understand what I was saying to him, I needed to switch to English. Even Pimsler, for example, I noticed like when I was doing my Hindi project in particular, when he was around three at that point, I'm in the car and it's like it, the audio is going and it waits for you to repeat the response. And I could hear him in the backseat repeating everything as well. So, I mean, it's just little things because he was doing it with me. He was like, Oh, mama's doing this. So I'm going to do this too. Um, and I just find that that works, but just playing with them, um, almost all of the movies that I've purchased, I've gotten the Chinese versions. And so he watches them in Chinese unless it's with other people and then we'll watch them in English, but just, you know, trying to use it as much as I can with him. Um, I haven't gotten to the point where I've needed to pretend I don't understand if he speaks another language, but if I find that his Chinese or his French drops off too much, I might be like, sorry, I don't understand if you don't speak to me in Chinese, but mm-hmm. um, yeah, so just things like that. And then, you know, if they have friends that do Chinese or whatever language they're learning as well, that helps too, because kids tend to want to do what their friends are doing. So if they they have a community around them also doing this thing, that helps as well. Okay. And you were mentioning previously that, uh, like you, you do have slow news in whatever language and such. What would be your favorite resources to use to get exposure to other languages that are in learning mode? For me, the things that I find I always go back to every time I pick up a new language, um, Pimsler, just because I spend so much time in the car uh, between driving kids around and commuting and things like that, um, or even just traveling when I'm on a plane, I can just stick my earphones in and listen to Pimsler. And um, so that would be one. Um, I know that you don't like it because it's slow paced, but I actually do like it because it's slow paced because I'm not sitting at a desk listening to it and being kind of bored. I'm driving, I'm doing other things where I, that also need my attention. So it's perfectly mm-hmm. paced for me. Yep. Um, so that would be one. Link would be another. I love, 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 love reading. And I used to buy the physical books and getting through a physical book in a new language can be daunting. But now I just buy the Kindle versions and import them into Link. And it's basically assisted reading in the language. So you can mark vocabulary words and you can study the words that you don't know. And all you have to do is click to look them up rather than like trying to manage a dictionary and a book at the same time. So that would be the second one. And the third thing that I always kind of go back to is drops. And again, this kind of comes with like a little sticker on it because I do also work with drops, but, um, just the, it's a great way to kind of get into vocabulary, just spend five minutes a day, just something quick, like a touch point with a language. And so for me, I just, a a good use of my time. And actually my kids love drops as well. So whenever I pull it up, they go, Oh, I want to do it too. I want to do it too. Let me do it too. So it's good. Yeah. So as well as, uh, being a core member of Fluent in Three Months and having your own blog, you do actually have several, uh, you know, and all the other millions of things that you do. You have several uh, language project um, things that you you help uh, with other companies and such. One of which is Drops. So, what what is your role at Drops? So, um, I I work at Drops as the uh, 
resident polyglot and language expert. And um, there I do um, a lot of different things. Uh, I also run Women in Language, which is an online conference with Lindsay Williams and Kirsten Cable. And I also um, am the community manager, head coach of the Flint Three Months Challenge, and I'm a musician. So I do a lot of different things. And you raise kids speaking other languages as well. So That too. <laughs> and what, what is Women in Language? Women in Language is an online event that we hold every year. Uh, the event is all female. It's all female speakers, um, but anyone is welcome to come. You don't have to be female to attend. It's just we wanted to create an event that uh, gave women a place to kind of have the spotlight. Um, and we do panels. We have individual speakers. It lasts several days. Um, and it's just a really fun event. It's online, so you can attend from anywhere in the world. You don't actually have to buy a plane to get and fly anywhere. Not that you can do that right now. Anyway. So I, I definitely, um, I really like the women in language it's, itself because I think when people look online for language learning advice, uh, for a long time, there were mostly male, myself included, absolutely, uh, faces doing it. But more and more, we have seen um, women put themselves on YouTube making podcasts, making content. And it's, it's important to, to, to see that you can get yourself out there. And I've seen a lot, of, a lot more inspirational uh, female content creators. And uh, I like that you guys are kind of at the forefront of, of helping to inspire that. So um, uh, people should definitely check that out. Um, and did you say there's a, a particular day in the year that you guys uh, tend to do more stuff together? Uh, there is. This year we're doing the conference in the fall. So you can visit womaninlanguage.com to find out more information on that and exactly what the dates are. Um, but yeah, we do an event once a year. We were doing it in the spring earlier, but um, we've pushed it back to a little bit later this year. Okay. And I guess just some, some final questions. Uh, if, if somebody's getting started off, what would your top tips be to um, to successfully kick off their language learning project? My top tips would be, one, start speaking right away. If your goal involves speaking at all, if you just want to read Russian literature, of course, this doesn't apply, but if you want to communicate with other people, definitely start as soon as possible. Um, so that would be one. Two would be to learn lots of vocabulary. For me, I find that vocabulary is really the building block for being able to do anything else in the language. I can get away with not really knowing a whole lot of grammar and doing what you call Tarzan speak. And, um, you know, just kind of throwing words together and getting my point across doing whatever I need to do gestures or, um, you know, just kind of being creative with what vocabulary that I know, but the more vocabulary that I know, the easier that is to do. So I spend a lot of time with vocabulary always basically. And then I kind of learn grammar as I need it. So that would be the second thing that I would, uh, suggest. And the third is, is join the Fluent in Three Months Challenge. If you're struggling with confidence, if you want to, you know, start speaking, if you're feeling alone in your language studies, if, you know, you just want people to practice with, if you need suggestions for how to get started or how to continue or how to stay motivated, how to build a habit, the challenge helps with all of these things. And um, I mean, I don't do it because I'm part of the Fluent in Three Months team and I have to do it. There's no requirement for me to participate in these challenges at all. But I've been doing it for more than two years now, almost three, because it works and because I believe in it. And if that's, you know, you can't 
argue with the results. So. Yeah, and uh, if anyone's curious, we will have links to the Fluent in Three Months Challenge in the show notes, and uh, as well as any anything else that uh, Shannon's mentioned in terms of uh, women in language, her own blog and such. And if people want to find more about you online, uh, where where would they go? The best place to go would be eurolinguist.com, which is E-U-R-O-L-I-N-G-U-I-S-T-E.com. Yeah. And on Instagram and social medias, what, what's your, your handle? I'm Eurolinguist on everything except for Twitter, where it was already taken. And there I'm Eurolinguist SK. <laughs> okay. Then uh, thank you very much. You guys can see clearly why I was very happy to have Shannon as my co-host uh, for the majority of uh, our other language hacking podcast episodes. Um, she always knows the right question to ask. And uh, she um, she and I have a good balance of uh, different language learning experience and different personalities. And I'm very, very happy to have her as a, a core member of the Fluent Three Months team as well. And I'm sure Drops are very happy and Women in Language are very happy. And a lot of people are very happy to, to have you uh, helping out with their various projects. And I, you. I think uh, you definitely have some great time management skills, but I'm still wondering if you've actually managed to clone yourself seven times. And if that's, <laughs> that's how you're truly doing all of this. <laughs> uh, no, but if anyone does figure that out, I would think that that would be pretty cool. I'd send them all to go and do all the extra stuff and I do the fun things. <laughs> exactly. Definitely. Well, thank you very much for um, taking over the the mic for today's episode. And of course, um, everybody is welcome to check out, especially the Fluent in Three Months Challenge, uh, where we will help you to to learn a language, to have your first uh, 15-minute conversation after 90 days. And... And we guarantee that it's, uh, you see a lot more information about it in the show notes. And otherwise, make sure to join us for future uh, podcast episodes where both Shannon and I will be talking to uh, other interesting language learners. So thank you very much. And any final words, Shannon? Um, no, just thank you. And um, it's just great to be a part of the Fluent in Three Months team. I've enjoyed every minute of it. And I look forward to doing many more of these podcasts with you and talking to some very interesting people. Me too, definitely. Okay, thank you everyone for joining us and happy language learning. Happy language learning. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Language Hacking Podcast. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, YouTube, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you find this episode valuable, please leave us a review so we can continue to grow and spread the word about language hacking. The Language Hacking Podcast is presented by Benny Lewis and Shannon Kennedy and produced by David Sobel, with special thanks to the Fluent in Three Months team. The theme music was written and performed by Shannon Kennedy. Find the show notes at languagehacking.com forward slash podcast. Thanks for listening and happy language learning.